Welcome to episode 15 of Taker Points, the GA discussion show. This week's guests are Justin McNulty, the former Armagh footballer, and Aidan Carr, the former Down footballer, and our columnist, Cahill Carvel. We've decided to focus entirely on just a discussion this week on leading off with your Cahill's column on professionalism in the GA, because for two weeks in a row you discussed this guy, you couldn't do it in one column, you had to do it in two. Um, and then the first week you discuss why it's a, a, a good thing that the J doesn't go professional and the second was why it, it should. You were taking both points, you were being very philosophical. What was the thinking behind that? Well, I, I suppose I looked at Boris Johnson for inspiration, which is a bit uh, odd when it comes to the GEA, but he had argued for and against Brexit and uh, a lot of people I had spoken to were talking about professionalism in the GEA and it's inevitable that it's going to go professional, the level of um, time that's put into it, the resources and like the, the level that the Dublin guys have got to. Um, that there's only one way it's going to go and that is into professional arena. It's not going to regress to where it was 10, 15 years ago. And then a lot of people are also saying to me, well, if the GA goes professional, that's going to be the death nail of it and it's going to turn into that hyper elite, not open to the masses, forget about um, community-based uh, sport, forget about volunteers. It's all going to be driven by the bottom line and that's not something that... Uh, we want in this um, island and if you look at you know the GA is one of the pillars of uh, society and our society and you know if that goes where does that leave a lot of the rural communities like my own in um, in Middletown where we are based massively around the GA club and that is our sense of pride and that sense of um, community so I really wanted to look at both arguments also to look at the finances and you know if we were to go to a fully professional every intercounty team both hurling and football was to go to a fully professional outfit on a very conservative um, calculation, it would cost the GEA at least £65 million a year to keep that going. Looking at it again and from a legal point of view, employment law would come into that like um, like a Premier League a team that players can be traded and um, there's employment law rights, PAYE, tax implications, etc. Et and when you look at it actually and break it down in terms of the numbers, in terms of the figures, an island the size of Ireland um, cannot sustain um, 64 professional GA teams. If you look at um, the AFL was a comp comparison I looked at, they have 18 professional teams and they signed a £2.5 billion commercial TV deal over the next five years out in Australia and even that is just about sustaining um, the professional game out there. Also, if you look at comparison with rugby, there's four um, professional teams in the island of Ireland and even those teams, um, notwithstanding the sponsorship that they're getting, are bankrolled off the back of the success of the Ireland team. So I wanted to really look at it, look at where the GA has come from, where it is going to, and to argue both points. And to my mind, where I came down uh, in the argument after looking at it on both occasions was that there's no way that the GA should go professional and it should be resisted at all costs because it, the GA and our games are too precious to allow elitism and the bottom line to dictate it. And unfortunately, I think at present, unless something's done, we are sleepwalking into a professional era. Whatever, I read it, I thought to myself, I need to read more. Like you, you referenced Icarus in the Greek mythology and you referenced Julius Caesar and the Rubicon. I was like, this guy's very well read for a GA <laughs> paper. Like, Justin, whatever you were reading it, what did you take from it? Was there anything that sprung out to you? 
Firstly, I, I really enjoyed them from a, both a mythological perspective and a historical perspective. You know, Icarus and uh, Caesar crossing the Rubicon was excellent, very enjoyable. Um, I think it's it was bold, bold suggestions, bold, bold ideas from Cahill's perspective. Uh, the, the financial piece is just not sustainable within the GA. Uh, 62 million plus or thereabouts in a year is just not not realistic, not not practical. Um, I think in terms of professionalism, professionalism isn't just about money. Professionalism is about attitude and approach. And those those uh, words ring through my mind from uh, the perspective of a, a mentor of mine when I went into Gaelic football management, and that was Gary Keegan. He was involved with the Institute for Sport in Ireland. His, his idea was professionalism is very much about attitude and approach. Now, the, the level of professionalism within Gaelic football currently is phenomenal. You know, at inter-county level, you are all but you're professional in everything but money. So the commitment levels are, are, are sky high, and there are other concerns around that in relation to whether doctors or accountants or actuaries can actually play the sport because of the commitment levels that are there and they're now required to be successful at the top level. Um, but I think it's more about equality of respect for players and those involved with teams across the board so that a Dublin player is not treated any better than a player from Leitrim. A Dublin player is not treated any better than a player from Carlow. So that the professionalism isn't about how the players are taken care of from when they join that county panel until they leave it there. That everything that can be taken care of outside of actually giving them pay for play is taken care of. And that's, that's the... the way forward I would be supporting very much from the GA perspective. Aidan, what did you take from it as well? Was there anything that sprung out to you? Does that chime with you with Justin saying? Or was there I don't think it's feasible at all. Um, purely, like, where does it stop at the minute? You know, if if you don't make your a championship panel and you're not eligible for your two All-Ireland tickets. So if you don't make a championship panel, is your where does your pay or your subsidy or you know your tax relief does it stop at your 26 or you know is it a blanket because you at the start of the year teams get 45 50 of a panel for you know trials and stuff like those guys in the next three months will give up as much time as the guys who end up playing next year you know for the same period um you also at the minute it's you have two jur jurisdictions like who covers the tax rebate? You know, what employment law do you, are you going to follow? If there is a Brexit, how is that going to affect it? You know, it's just not feasible. There's too many questions, you know. I suppose the IRFU is, is a wee bit different in a way because it was always an all-island body. You know, it's, it's a wee bit like the Gulf and that it covers. But at the minute, the GAA, while it's an all-island body, it has so many different you know, controlling organisations, everybody is only a piece of the pie. The Ulster Council control the Ulster Championship, the Leinster Council control the Leinster Championship. So those people aren't going to give that up, you know, and it just leads to, while certain aspects of the GA do become more professional, the players, I don't think, will ever, will be. I, I don't think, I don't see how they can be, to be honest. Um, and it's not something that I, I think they should strive for either. You know, whenever you set out to play county, you realise what you're buying into. Like, you know, you're willing to go to the gym on your off nights to become bigger and better. You, to become a county footballer, you have to have a certain level of aspiration in yourself. So it's about really what you want. You know, 
people talk about you know GA players giving up their lives and stuff they don't because that's the life they choose you know if a person wants to be a doctor they're willing to be on call they're willing to go to night shift you know they're willing to cover weekends so that's the choice you make it's not about GA players giving up their lives to play GA it's they play GA because that's what they want to do with their life you know and I, I don't buy that people are giving up their lives and because of that they should be rewarded as a professional. Another issue Justin that he came up with in the piece was that there is already a level of payment there that players are getting a certain amount of money and there's I know they're getting grants and stuff but there's there's extra benefits for players should that all be more above board like the appearance money that players get and others don't get should that be above board to be made equal? I think that has always been the case you know Jack O'Shea making appearances at the GA uh, 1984 Congress was he looked after of course he was and that's that's, that's part of the, the sport it's part of every sport you know the, the, the high profile players are always asked to turn up events and they don't, they don't, they're not expected to turn up those events for the good of their health right they're, they're expected to be looked after in some manner or form and it's not always astronomical um, I think that's reasonable to expect within any sport um, and touching on what Aidan said you know when we were little boys when Cal was small fella dreaming of playing hurling the middle turn he wasn't dreaming of playing for our man for the money he could make out of it likewise Aidan and myself dreaming as little boys I weren't thinking about I want to play for our man for all the money he could make out the experiences we got from playing our sports money can't buy and the enjoyment factor and, the, and the, the memories and the bonds that you have for life are phenomenal and just they, they cannot be supplanted by payment. So that's a massive part of what, what this discussion is all around, right? And, uh, and, I, and I don't feel there's a groundswell of opinion within young players or any generation of players that here, this, this sport needs to go professional because people don't get into Gaelic football or, or hurling or ladies football to, for the money to get into, for the love of the game and the team, the team camaraderie and the, the competitiveness that it gives you the opportunity to event or to, be, to participate in. And that's, that's, what, that's what the GEA is. I, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. But one of the points that you made in it, Cal, was that there was an American sitting in the Croke Park and he looked around and there's 80,000 people there and they're all paying whatever it is, 100 euro now, it's going to be 200 euro for the next couple of years, I imagine. Everybody's getting paid except for the players on the field. So there is a, perhaps a perception then if all these guys are getting paid and I'm not, then that will put, create a sense in a player that I want to get paid. So, and then we've got to push towards Sky Sports and a lot of money in the game. Is there a, is there a way that Jay can just maybe rein it in like? I think we've seen in the Celtic Tiger the, the ills that come along with trying to push for commercialization of the, the games and what happens when the bottom line is driving things and I'm completely against professionalism in the GEA but there needs to be steps taken from the top down to address such things as the level of payment being made to managers and these under the table brown envelopes and this is happening and let's not get ourselves the, the friend that um, I interned with in the States he was um, a highly regarded American football player. He couldn't quite make it at college level, but the programs that they had, like looking at Georgia State, the hundreds of millions of pounds being pumped into that and everyone around that is being paid apart from the players who want to make it to the, the NFL. So we need to guard against that and to actually say, and um, this had been brought up previously in relation to a, a Congress and there was a report done by the commission by the GEA addressing the expenses point and you know the taxes that go along with this I know people don't want to talk about that point but there's an elephant in the room about under the counter payments being made and let's just bring that up and say well this is what's happening so everyone's transparent and clear about that and that would knock on the head 
some of the calls for professionalism to bring it into a regulated sphere that everyone knows what's going on because we are going to sleepwalk into a professional era unless steps are taken and there may not be a groundswell for it now but if you're playing on a team and the manager's getting 50k a year to manage you and he's asking you to give up half of your life and also to give up your career aspirations for young players um, to play for him and you turn around and going home and you maybe had a bad day and you're thinking sure he's getting 50 grand on the table no one's saying about that there so is that an issue in the GAA? Absolutely so professionalism but there's also that element of it too which needs to be considered. Yeah but the GA have said for years like they can't even find the table never mind the burning envelope no, so there's no, it seems like there's no way they're ever going to change yeah, that. The same people who are voting at Congress are getting a free weekend to go to Congress they're getting mileage checks to go to Congress like it seems that they're if you acknowledge that argument at that level like where does that conversation stop so we acknowledge payments to managers so I think our trainers are officially allowed to be paid because they're specialists. Managers aren't, supposedly. Then, because if we stop those payments or acknowledge them, then does the question then become, well, county board officials, what are they getting out of this? And then turkeys don't vote for Christmas. like. But I think we need to have that conversation. I agree yeah. totally. And I also think transparency of voting at Congress is the, one of the biggest issues that the GA has because... You um, gauge public opinion on certain aspects and you think, well, this rule hasn't a, ha hasn't a chance of passing a Congress and then the next thing you see it passing at 70% or something. And you're like, who voted for that? Or where does it make sense? Like, you know, the issue of 26 players on a panel, like everybody realistically knows you cannot train a good club team, really competitive top club team with 26 players. Because you need to be able to field 15 on 15. So while it's done for those people who are voting for it to cut their annual costs, you know, everybody else in the GA would say that rule is not going to pass because everybody knows there's 30, 30 plus on a panel. But yet it seems to go okay. So to me, there is a massive issue in the GA that's coming from the top, as you say. And until it becomes more transparent, uh, nothing else is going to fall out of it. Like. You're saying the top is out of touch? The... I don't know how out of touch they are. I think it's way too easy for them to hide behind an invisible vote. Right. So while, you know, look at the rules in the past, whatever, couple of years, there's been massive changes introduced in the playing rules. And you'll very often see that a rule passes in spite of public opinion. Um, but nobody's able to see who voted for what and for what reasons they voted for that. So while they may be given a mandate from their own county, there may be a decision at a higher level within that county to say, well, no, hold on, vote this way. But we, we don't know. That's, again, that's... Well, what I, the point I was going to make on the issue of managers is that most players are, look. In my experience, whenever I speak to the man, the county, the managers of clubs or cl the chairman of clubs will say, "Well, that's what the players want. We we want to listen to what the players want, and the players want an outside manager. The way it would go would be have an inside manager, you know. But the players want. They say we can't have an inside man because an inside man is connected. Justin, would you agree, or you've been around <laughs> a few clubs? Yeah, I've managed, <laughs> managed several clubs, I've managed uh, Leash as well. Um, I think Cal was referring earlier to uh, Jadlebon, he talked about getting into management for the 
couple of hundred pounds we make a week. Um, I don't think you go very far in management because if you're getting into management for the money, you're getting into it for the wrong reasons. I didn't get into management for money. I, I got expenses with every t team I, I work with. Um, and I got into management because I'm passionate about the sport. I'm passionate about helping young players develop both on the pitch and off the pitch. Helping to develop as footballers and as men. Um, and yes, you know, th that's an issue within the GA, but I don't think there are many managers in the country who are making a good living out of managing Gaelic football teams because that's the, the again it's, it's goes back to what's sustainable. That's not sustainable for clubs or counties to pay big money to managers because the money just isn't there. Um, um, I would say most managers would say that they're out money as opposed to up money because of the huge commitment. That, you know, the commitment there is from being a player. You know, you multiply that several times over in the terms of the time commitment involved with being a manager, especially for teams that are not in your own lo locality. Uh, and most clubs recognise that and they, they, they compensate the managers accordingly for their for their for their, their expenses. And that's that's very reasonable my, from my perspective. What do you think about uh, the point about um, the invisible votes and votes not being you know we think things are going to go through Congress, but then they don't. What do you think about that? Do you think that's fair or unfair? I think that's very very reasonable. I think it should be f fully transparent in terms of who's voting for what and for what for what reasons. Um, the GA should be fully transparent from that perspective. Yeah. We need to drain the swamp here. I was gonna, <laughs> just when Aidan mentioned that, I was thinking to myself, it's less transparent than the Sinn Féin or Ash. Uh, but maybe we'll not get into that uh, with uh, Justin in the room. But that's a very valid point in terms of who is actually influencing these people that are going to vote. And when, like, if someone asked me, who our county board in Armagh, who the representative is that went to uh, Congress, and whether he voted for and against the offensive mark, I couldn't tell you. Who voted for the black card that came in to change the game? Uh, who voted for the mark? Don't know. And, you know, was how was that decision arrived at as to this is a good decision for us? You know, and on that point where we don't know what the decision makers were made and getting bringing it back to the professionalism point, at some stage someone may say that professionalism is a good thing and yes guys, come down to Congress and we need this voted through, it has to be democratic and that's great and then we have a hundred invisible votes that we don't know who voted for it and all of a sudden we again sleepwalking into a, we are now a professional era and as I referred to in the piece, a Champions League format and instead of having um, 32, 34 um, teams competing in the All-Ireland, it's all been condensed down and there's eight teams and um, you know we're supporting um, um, South Ulster in uh, Northern Ireland, you know, and you know that may be, I suppose, uh, laughing about it, but is that is a potential that that could happen? And when there's no transparency and accountability as to who's voting for what, who knows? So I think maybe that's along with professionalism, and you know, we've covered a number of points in terms of the GA, but these are valid issues that may, in the next ten years, uh, come to the doorstep. And once again, going back to the point I made earlier. We need to work against the changes in um, uh, the community that are pushing towards professional GA because when it's all said and done, you go back to your club and your community and the GA is the essence and cornerstone, in my mind, of life in Ireland. Talking about votes, the, one of the issues that this year has been penalties. Um, and we had it yet again at the weekend, St Nivena, were one on penalties against uh, Dungannon in the Ulster Intermediate Hurling Championship. Just about. Just about. But that was that's that's a situation that's been different across the board. Some counties have it, some don't. Yeah, again, I, I don't understand why there's not a general consensus. You know, 
again, it comes down to everybody wanting to control their own wee piece of the pie. Like, if it's good for one, surely it's good for every competition, especially at provincial provincial level. Like those, some of those clubs are playing in the provincial series for the first time ever. You know, not knowing in advance that it's going to come down to penalties or a free kick competition like we've seen in the Antrim Championship um, is madness. You know, like it can't be that hard. Now again, this is me being a wee bit of, making a bit of an assumption. It can't, surely it can't be that hard to get a directive from Croke Park saying, if after a replay and extra time it's still a draw, we go to penalties or we go to a free kick competition. It should be a rule like the fist pass or uh, like, the hand pass or whatever, or the solo or whatever, yeah. And it takes out the ambiguity of like needing to practice. You have five people kicking from the edge of the day or you have five people practicing penalties. You know, set it in stone and then either way, people know. Mm-hmm. You know, fans know. How many times do you go to a championship match in, the, in a club year and it's a draw at extra time and you don't know if there's going to be extra time or not until somebody comes out and announces over the tannoy. like We had it in down this year where there was a couple of draws and while they played extra time in some, they didn't play extra time in others. You know, to me, it doesn't make sense. Like. That doesn't make sense at all. But, but I, I was really brought up because I wanted to know if you thought it was fair or not. Do you think it was a good thing or you know? If you know what's going to happen, it's fair. You know, there's no reason. Everybody buys into it. It's a rule, so you have your five penalty takers. You, you hit your penalties. You, you score, your miss. It's the same as a penalty in normal play like okay. it's, it's not that we're introducing something that's not in the game already there's penalties there so either make it a penalty shootout or don't like do you agree Justin? I think there should be consistency across the board uh, kind of what Aidan's saying I think it's something that is born out of the fixtures challenge that we have and the fixtures programme which is uh, already overloaded and therefore some matches just have to be decided on the day and therefore you have to weigh deciding if it, if it finishes on a draw after extra time and maybe create more drama and create you know a, a finish which is more akin to the skills of the game which is a, a free kick from the edge of the day or a free kick from the, the, the 50 um, which actually more is more akin to the skills of good football or, or hurling as well. It can be something that's used to sell the sport as well. It does create an extra bit of drama, an extra edge to excitement so I think it's something that could be celebrated and uh, promoted as being something to uh, sell our sport further. Not if you're the interim chairman though, he, he walked on, he didn't think it was... He thought it was famous, but um, from my perspective in relation to it, and this is where the issue arises and I take the point of the guys here, Dungallon played St Andes in Celtic Park in the Ulster Intermediate and um, we at Middletown were in the Ulster Intermediate last year. Um, and if it had have been me and I'm a Dungannon player, and I can guarantee you that the a number of those Dungannon boys did not know that it was going to go to penalties. And I've spoken to some of the guys, and they weren't aware until it came over, it's going to penalties here, guys. But here's the issue in relation to that. The All-Ireland Intermediate Semi-Final is in the third week in January. And why was it that they felt the need to have a penalty competition yesterday? when the game isn't for another two months. I would see through it if it was the game was on Wednesday night and we needed to get this game wrapped up. The All-Ireland semi-final was happening there. But these guys, and I, I can speak to the Dungannon guys because they're closer to, to my own club and we've played them a number of uh, times. Um, the Sananda guys as well who won the, the intermediate in the football last year, they have put so much into it. And you know the pageantry that goes along with getting to a provincial final for that Dungannon team who have never been there before, Throne team have never won it. And I know the work that's gone in at club level down in Dungannon. 
and the, those guys were absolutely devastated. There's a, there's a photograph of the um, St. Anna's team running down after the, uh, the, the final penalty, and there was one of the guys on his knees, head in the hands. And to not know, firstly, that that was going to be ended on a penalty competition, and let's not forget, out of the 10 penalties taken, only one was scored, and this is after two periods of extra time. It was complete madness, the fact that it wasn't put on to uh, next Sunday. And also for the clubs themselves, like the buses that went up for that game from Dungannon, I, I can only speak to because I, I know the amount of the, the club members that went to that game. And to give those guys another day out, another day uh, in terms of the flagship and what that does for the young guys coming through that want to play Hurling, want to play Camogie on Dungannon, which isn't a stronghold, let's be honest about it. But to see your heroes um, play in a replay in, an, uh, in a provincial final will do that club the world of good going forward in terms of participation but to take that away over a penalty competition that some of the players didn't even know was taking place is absolute madness yeah well it's madness that some of the players didn't know that that's how the, the yeah. result would be decided the, you know and it's frustrating too because that's such an important it's, you're it's so right because it's that's such an important day the club it, this really the club championship the Ulster club championship is such a great it's brilliant yeah, it, like it, no one from the girls last year they won it for the first time ever and it was the best day in our club's history up until that point. And then obviously they've gone on to win the All-Ireland, which again has overtaken it as the best day. It is a pity that it doesn't get the coverage maybe that the, the Slack Neil Dunloy game um, got, but that was a team and going back to the, the tiering point, which we talked about, and that's for another day, but in relation to the club level where the junior and that intermediate, the teams were so evenly matched, 220 to 220 after extra time, an absolutely amazing spectacle and to end it like that in those circumstances is so cruel but for that club they can be very proud you know both clubs can be very proud of what they achieved but it's the biggest day in your life up until that point for a lot of those players and those are memories that will last a lifetime and the sting of the loss may propel them uh, the Dungannon team next year but I just think I'm not a fan of the penalties. Yes, the spectacle and the drama that goes along with it, but leave that for a Champions League final. We do it differently here in terms of our sports, and I don't think we should be, notwithstanding the fixture issues, we shouldn't be importing that into our games. Ask the guys from Trillick, they'll definitely agree with you. It's great when you win, but it's devastating when you lose, and to go out like that, it shouldn't be the way of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a great spectacle. The Ulster Club Championship is great. And do you feel that they're rushing it? Is it the, uh, a colleague of mine says they just rush it out. This goes far too quickly. It should be given more time. And well, in the context of what Cal is saying, where the, the next uh, game's not until after Christmas, you know, there was time for a replay. So it's hard to understand why on the first day there had to be a decision made, made on penalties. Um, but sometimes in the Sports context of, of a condensed fixtures programme, then you understand that, but um, losing is never easy under in any context. What do you think of that whole cruel thing? People say it's too cruel for yeah, players. But it's, it's not any worse than the guy who has a chance to win it at the end in normal time and might miss or drop it short. Like These things, unfortunately, there always has to be a winner and a loser at some level in sport. So. But on that, we play a team game, and if you lose, yes, you may have missed an opportunity, or may you may have made a mistake that leads to a goal. But think about go to the soccer. Gareth Southgate missing a penalty. Remember who John Terry missing a penalty. It back to the individual. The guy who missed the penalty for Dungannon yesterday, or the guy who missed the free kick competition, or missed the penalty for Trillick Lee Brennan. It 
individualizes that person and they have to go home and live with that. Yes, you may have made a mistake, but that may have been a mistake that led from further play and extra time. But you are putting all of the pressure on one individual player and he has the hopes of the club and the community. I'm not saying the players would blame someone who's missed that there. But I know from uh, one of the, uh, a friend that plays for Bonnaher when they were in the um, Ulster Club semi-final last year and it was in the athletic grounds and the young um, guy stepped up and missed the free and it was all on him and it's very, very cruel to do it that way. If you lose an extra time because the team maybe ran out of legs or wasn't good enough, even if there was a mistake along the way, then it's not just putting it all on the one player and that's where the penalties and the free kicks um, do that and I, that's why one of the reasons why I'm against them. You, you have Killian O'Connor a couple of years ago in an All-Ireland final had a kick to win the first game and that's in the flow of the game so he's individualised because of that but you know it sort of negates your argument if a team has a free in the last kick of the game to win or to draw a game um, is that unfair? because you're putting pressure on one person. I take your point, but the, the <laughs> converse of that is if you have five penalty takers, um, we don't. There's the one free taker who has, from underage, always practice the freeze, and that's all they do. All, one designated penalty taker who practices that there and goes through that there. You're asking five people who, in the context going back to, didn't know that there was penalties going to be taken. And to put that amount of pressure on the person, or even in circumstances where you do know, and there's five uh, free kick takers, designated at the start it may not always go to um, the last player yeah, it, may, yeah. And it may not always go to extra time and it may be decided so that automatically doesn't happen but if you are the free taker you can guarantee that you will be hitting freeze on your own on the team and that's why the Killian O'Connors the TJ Reid and that's why those guys are up there and sometimes the player that takes the freeze has that personality that they embrace that but not all players do but my point is, yes, if you have the chance to practice and prepare for that there, then yes, take the pressure and do that there. But when you're thrown into it and it doesn't go your way and then you are scapegoated in some circumstances, I don't think that's fair either. They didn't know that's, that's not the player's fault necessarily, but they should have known. But the pressure piece, I don't buy that. The pressure is part of the game. You've got to love the pressure. You've got to be able to cope with the pressure. And every player in every position at certain stages of the game have to cope with a certain level of pressure. And... Good teams are the teams that are prepared to cope and love and deliver when that pressure's on. And they should have wore game the fact that they were, they were possibly going to free kicks and then be prepared for that situation, that eventuality, and deal with the pressure and love the pressure. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, if we can't come to a conclusion on this one, good luck to the Central Council coming to a conclusion on it. But um, I'd just say, like to say thanks for coming in, Aidan, no. Justin, Kyle. Great discussion. Um, uh, really enjoyed it um, and uh, look forward to having us back in the future. But thanks for your time anyway. Thanks, thanks for the